Like, I was thinking about it, and I was like, shit, if I was going to take two days of PTO, I would take PTO and stay the fuck home. <laughs> and, like, clean Valid, my house. Though? Oh, man. I would clean my house and spend the whole time just double fisting coffee and possibly wine. And OSHA approved speedballs. Hey friends, Alex here. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up because this episode is real gnarly. So big content warning for sexual assault, abuse, torture, mayhem, child stuff. It's it's a big, big gnarly and it's one of the heaviest topics that we've ever actually covered. So I wanted to warn you. Also, this was an accidental multiple parter, so Sunshine, through the kindness of her heart, has decided that we will also be recording next week. So, back to back episodes on Dean Coral. Enjoy! Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not so true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Youngray with my lovely co host, Sunshine Bilan. Hey there. Hey there. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about the Candyman. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> that just put that song from Willy Wonka into my I've head. had that song stuck in my head for three years. <laughs> like, I kind of wish that I knew it well enough to just, like, in my head, I, I skipped a beat because I, I was just trying to figure out how to respond by, like, singing the song. And the only part I could remember is... The Candyman can, cause he mixes it with love. It's not what they say. the world taste good. Yeah, and that's a horrible, very macabre humor at this oh, time, no. I it's recognize. So but no, it's so bad. I've had it, it stuck in my head for It days. just popped in there. I couldn't help it. No, I, I don't think that's unfair, because that is exactly what has been happening to me. <laughs> also, in all fairness, the, you know, Gene Wilder was the original Willy Wonka, and he used to, like, Make me so uncomfortable as a kid. I was so... And every time I watched that movie and Willy Wonka would come on, I was like, oh. I mean, you know that Willy guy. Wonka is literally the devil, right? What? He tempts children with... Is this, like, intentionally the author's theme, or is this, I like... I don't know, but it's absolutely, like, an intended or otherwise metaphor. Mm-hmm. Because he, he brings all of these kids to his candy factory, and then is like, here's this thing that you really want don't touch it and then he punishes them for touching it he's the devil oh yeah the candy man can yeah he mixes it with love, with love and makes, and makes the, world the world taste good, good. <laughs> that should be our cold open oh no <laughs> maybe not so maybe that's bad. Too- i already made the comment i already apologized for being too macabre in the first place like- okay but like i have had that song stuck in my head for days yeah and, I mean, I should so, up. when did Willy Wonka come out? Probably before this. Maybe. 1971. Oh, God, it came out during. Oh, dear. Oh, no. I feel like that's wet, bad. Like, oh, that's real bad. I mean, it's not like they were writing an original script. They were producing a children's book. No, it, it, 
It just came out while this was going on. Like, nobody would have known about it yet. Right, I guess that's what I'm saying, is nobody would have known, so, like, you can't blame them, but that's unsettling. Oh. Oh, man, that's so bad. Rampant child predators. Rampant child predators. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, speaking of, like, you know, blah, 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 free candy pedo van. So, Uh I, um, I sent Anne the free candy truck. Literally, I just Google image searched yeah, pedo van, and it was one of the things that came up because, well, this is where that story comes from. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons we're telling it. Because, like, the response I had yeah. as soon as I saw the outline, just like, oh, Candyman, that's bad, but I don't know why. Oh, no. <gasps> yeah. So I sent that to Anne, and Anne goes, oh, no, I thought we were already done with this. Oh, no. <laughs> so she knew what was coming. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Again, I feel bad laughing right now, but I'm laughing at not child murders. Look, we are the kind of people that laugh so that we don't cry. That's true. That's true. It is our our way of dealing with horror and trauma and horrifying things. We are not laughing at the victims. We are just laughing nervously. Yes, we're laughing so our souls don't die too much from this experience. I think yep. is really what it comes down to. It it how I do. <laughs> <sighs> so we're doing the Candyman. This is the story of the white pedo van, and nobody remembers it. What do you mean nobody remembers it? Everybody knows the story, but honestly, I think even of our listeners. Anybody here that listens for the horror side of things probably Mm -hmm. has never heard this name. And a lot of the true crime enthusiasts, unless you are a big, big, big nerd true crime enthusiast, Mm -hmm. have probably never heard this name. This isn't a Ted Bundy or a Jeffrey Dahmer. This is a Houdat. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking about Dean Coral. Yep. One of that. Who is the Candyman. So let's get right into it, I guess. Yeah. Let's. All right. I'm like I'm waiting with bated breath. I don't know what to, I'm just with bated breath. I'm ready. <laughs> so Dean Arnold Coral was born to Mary and Arnold Coral on Christmas Eve, December twenty fourth, nineteen thirty nine, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay. Is he? Is this a picture of him? Yes. So so one of the reasons that. You know, the story didn't really take off and stay in the public eye is probably Mm -hmm. because there's not a lot of good pictures of Dean Coral. Most of the pictures of him are these kind of bad, grainy photos. So why, why do you think that affected the case being in the public eye? Because if you don't have a bunch of, like, literally just having more pictures, more things to show... Mm-hmm. keeps it fresh and interesting. Okay. And there's only, you know, three fucking pictures of this dude that are grainy and black and white. It's hard to keep selling that, you know? Yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah. And I mean I there's figured... more than that, but barely. <laughs> right, I was saying, I just figured you end up with more pictures like after his arrest and all that sorts of stuff. Oh, we'll get to that, but okay. not until next episode. Damn it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> And to see, I'm really hiding the ball. Patient. And honestly, all I'm doing to hide the ball is just telling things in chronological order. <laughs> yep. 
And he was like, there's a ball and we will there's get to ball. it. It's but at not the yet. end of the story. Yeah. Start at the I get beginning. It. And when you get to the end, stop. <laughs> I respect good organization. I just, it's <laughs> still sometimes. Excited. Yeah. It's a little yeah. frustrating sometimes. Oh though. man. This is going to throw you for one big giant loop. This story oh, is absolutely yay. nuts. This story is so crazy because there's so much stuff that you're not expecting. And then there's so much stuff that you are expecting and you had no idea how you expected it. Okay. Because it's a story that we all know. We just forgot how we know it. Oh. We all know not to get into the, into the, you know, windowless white van of the guy who's offering you candy. But no one knows why. But nobody knows why. It's because Dean Coral. Fuck you, Dean. Okay. Yeah. So, Dean Arnold Coral. He is born to Mary and Arnold Coral, December 24th, 1939, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, most of the story takes place in Texas, but he moves a lot. Like predators do. Like predators. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So Mary and Arnold's marriage was real rocky. Mary kind of doted on her son. Mm -hmm. And Arnold was much more stern. Although Mary insists that Arnold was never physically abusive. I kind of find, I don't know. I'm a little, so, so Mary's like a weird attention whore. So it's kind of like, well, if he was a physically abusive guy, you'd think that she would kind of use that to garner sympathy. But also, in the 40s, was there such a thing as a non-physically abusive father? Did that exist? Uh, well, I think... I was about to say that there would pro- were probably, like... Probably all fathers were inherently a little bit physically aggressive, but I think... Uh, I don't want to say... I, like, I don't want to say it wasn't abuse, but it wasn't considered abuse, and might sure, not have been on the scale. Sure, it wasn't considered abuse. Well, yeah. And also might not have been on the scale that, like... It would cross the line from emotional abuse to actual physical abuse. Right. Which so. is still not okay, but yeah, I just think that, yeah, yeah, it probably was socially acceptable, but I don't think everyone was a monster, I guess is my point. Well, I don't think everybody was a monster. I just think it was different times, and I find it oh. really hard to believe that somebody that was raised in the 40s as a man would Didn't not have been... Whooping? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, as a child, Dean was mostly a loner. <sighs> kind of a weird kid, just an awkward kid, didn't really have friends. While his younger brother, Stanley, was a lot more of a normal kid so mary and arnold divorce when dean is six however they get back together and separate several times after that that's never really a good sign it's not great it's not great and they even get remarried and re-divorced <sighs> yeah that's <laughs> it's not a hallmark great. of instability yeah it's not great so the relationship finally ends permanently in 1953 and around this time, Mary then marries a traveling salesman named Jake West and moves with her new family to Vidor, Texas. What's with the... Tra- I feel like traveling salesmen used to be a really big thing. And I also have an inherent mistrust of them. Like, where did that trope come from? Is there a traveling salesman murderer? Because, you know, they definitely have like a negative connotation in my head as well. And I don't it's not usually for, like- think of traveling salesmen as murderers. But they are kind of in a lot of old stories, and I think that it's just not a thing that people do anymore. Yeah. Nobody answers their door. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so 
So this is when they moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. And around this time, after moving to Texas, a traveling pecan salesman. <laughs> she just had the hostel traveling salesman or what? She just, she, you know, traveling salesmen. They're just everywhere. They're like mosquitoes. That's mean. They're like mosquitoes. They're like mosquitoes. So a traveling pecan salesman meets Mary and suggested that she start making candy, like professionally. And this is how it all starts. So Mary buys a pecan candy recipe and with her husband, Jake, starts up the Pecan Prince candy company out of their garage. Oh, cute. So while it is Mary's company, Dean was the one running the machines and wrapping the candy and doing like a lot of the work. Right. Child labor. So that's kind of Dean's big thing is, is this candy company. Mm-hmm. Making pecan candies. And it's probably not that big of a deal for him because he's such a loner. She's like, fine, I'll hang out in the garage and make candy yeah. and wrap it all day. Whatever. Yeah, basically. He, he also gets real nice and weird at this point. Like he's not just a loner. So in high school, he's his, the only activity that he's really dedicated to is playing the trombone in the school band, which is okay. fine. Yeah, it's fine. But he also starts capturing flying squirrels. Oh, no. Which he brings to school in his shoes or he wears them around his neck. Alive or dead? There are testimonies to both. I just, uh, I, dead flying squirrels in your shoes. Like, flying squirrels in your shoes would have to be dead. Right. And that's like, well, they're boots. Yeah, but like, I don't know. That's just like a weird, like, I don't know. Either way, either way, it's animal abuse. Right, I guess that's what I'm saying. Is it the way you're describing it? I'm like, now is it like, oh, cute, he really likes animals, and like bringing a flying squirrel in and being like, it's on my neck, like, or is it? No, it's animal abuse. I'm pretty sure he strings. literally chained them to his neck. So, so yeah, he kind of gets into animal abuse. It's really unsettling. Yeah, and <sighs> most of the information about Dean is from his mom. So do you think she would overblow anything? I think I think like, that she just really sugarcoats, mm. which is a great use of words. <laughs> but I think she really sugarcoats his childhood and his life and his, you know, his everything because mm. she doted on him. He was the perfect son. And so he could do no wrong. And so that's why we don't have a lot of information on his childhood other than he got really weird about the fucking flying squirrel thing. Okay. Well, you know. So after high school graduation, the family and the candy company moved to Houston, Texas. Specifically the Houston Heights, which is where this story really takes place. Okay. And that's because, like, the candy company was, like, really booming. It was starting to pick up pace. And so they moved to basically where they had been selling a lot of their candy to. And things are also starting to get really tense at home between Jake and Dean. So Dean is actually sent to his grandma's farm in Indiana. Okay, I was wondering where Indiana came in. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was born there. Right. But, like, that doesn't really count as being from somewhere in the larger sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess he's technically from Indiana, but, like, the big chunk of this story is about Texas. Right. 
So during his time in Indiana, Dean's only real friends are a pair of early teen neighbor girls. And Dean's 1920 during this time. Hmm. That's unsettling. So you get this first, like, mm, you're a weird guy. Yeah, like developmental issues or either predatory issues or developmental issues or both. When yes. somebody that old is hanging <laughs> out with girls that young. Yeah. Yeah. So he's there. And and honestly, Dean doesn't like girls sexually. Well, I mean, I just assumed. I, I don't think that this is incorrect, but I generally assume if we're talking about pedophiles, I'm thinking of a man who's attracted to underage, like, boys. Who's attracted to boys, not, like, I don't know. That's always what I imagine is men attracted to boys, not little girls. Which I guess is... That's honestly, that's probably because of the handful of serial killers Mm -hmm. who preyed on young men and boys. But I think that pedophiles, their orientation Mm -hmm. tends to be child. And if there is an orientation as far as like male or female goes, Mm -hmm. I think that it is very similar to the common population. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. Yeah, so I think that there are more straight male pedophiles than gay male pedophiles. I just think that the gay male pedophiles tend to get blown up in the media more. Right. And we don't talk about the straight male pedophiles. Dean is a pedophile and a sexual predator, and he's gay. Okay. So he is both. He's a lot of Being things. gay does not make you a sexual predator, and being a sexual predator does not make you gay. Yes, you can you can be in all sorts of sexual predator. All it requires is predation. Is predation. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. So so this is gonna be weird to cut, but Dean, yeah. Sorry, I. You're fine. Dean is friends with some early teen neighbor girls, mm-hmm. but he almost certainly doesn't do anything too inappropriate with them because yeah. yes, he is a pedophile, but he is not interested in girls. Yep. So two years later, Mar- after sending him to Indiana, Mary calls the now 20 year old Dean back to Houston to help with the candy company again. Come back. Come yep. back. I need you. It's too big. <laughs> so he comes back and starts helping out with the candy company and Mary and Jake are not doing so good. Lots of fighting. Lots of fighting. And they usually argue over the candy company. So after one particularly big argument over the candy company, Mary creates a rival candy company called Coral Candy Company. And she makes Dean the vice president. So she splits with her husband and... Oh, they're still together. But she just creates a rival candy company and runs it with her son while also still being... Married to Jake. Married to and involved with the other company? Uh, well, I mean, I think basically the argument was like, I want you to leave the candy company and never come back. Uh-huh. Or leave the candy factory and never come back or whatever. And so Mary's like, fine, I will. And she makes her own candy company. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then Jake gets all butthurt and ends up like sending nasty letters around the neighborhood about the coral candy company. So uh, they get officially divorced in 1963. (laughs) Cause that's that's probably for the best. 
Yeah. 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 And in 1964, Dean is drafted in the army. Oh, the draft. 1964. Now, he's never actually, like, he doesn't see any combat. He mm-hmm. serves as a radio repairman for literally less than a year. Oh, how okay. come? Well, I'll get to that. Oh. So, apparently this is the first time that he has an openly homosexual experience. Oh. So, so he discovers his sexuality. Yeah, right? This is the only time that something vaguely maybe healthy probably happened. But also, it's the 60s and it's the military. So. Honestly, this, I feel like this is such a problem in, like, so many of the stories where there's, like, a gay serial killer. I honestly think that, like, I don't know if they would be sexual sadists without homophobia, but so often it feels like their crimes are them covering up their sexuality or not being able to handle their sexuality. And basically society tells them like they are demonic for being gay. And so they just think, okay, well, if I'm demonic for this thing that I want to do, then all of these things that I want to do are the same kind of demonic. And since I can't change that I'm gay, I'm also going to be a sadist. Right. Or regardless of whether it's that cut and dry or not, definitely like the trauma that you would experience growing up as like, a gay child could mm-hmm. potentially be something that would be severe enough to lead to you inflicting pain and trauma on other people mm-hmm. in a way that's like way out of control. Yeah. And I kind of, I, I was debating on how hardcore we should get in discussing the murders, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like I have to talk about that okay. because I feel like it has to do with his resentment of his status as a gay man, you know? Yeah. Which again, doesn't like, I don't. It obviously is not a justification. Yeah. I want to yeah. emphasize that it's not like a. It's not a justification. It's yeah. just a goddamn it society. Stop allowing monsters to fester into monsters. Right. Or stop willfully like being willfully negligent and propagating monsters is yeah. really what it is. Like, yeah. just... Cause like, I think that we are always going to have the Ted Bundy's, you know, the, the, they popped out of nowhere, a couple of bad things happened to them and suddenly they were the worst psychopath ever. Right. But you should realize when they start wearing flying squirrels around their neck to school, <laughs> that it's time to intervene in a more like tangible and possibly therapeutic kind of way. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I feel like in a modern society where we're not horribly homophobic, you're not going to get any more Jeffrey Dahmers. You're not going to get any more Dean Quarles, you know? If we are in a more open and accepting society. Right. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. A healthier society will breed fewer... Healthier people? (laughs) Well, yeah, it will create fewer antisocial behaviors. Yeah. You get antisocial behaviors when your society is not functioning properly. Yeah, exactly. So first case experience is in the army, but his mother sends for him again to be discharged under hardship so that he can come back and help with the candy factory. The Coral Candy Company. Yes. So he's discharged after serving only 10 months in 1965. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the silliest, fruitiest discharge ever. This hardship discharge to go and have help your mom leave. at the candy factory. I have to leave to go help run the candy company. Yeah. It's like, but also, cool. I do kind of wonder if he was like, oh, this is the perfect out. 
Because being gay and in the military. Yeah, gay in the military in the 60s, like, that sounds yeah, terrible. Yeah, you risk a dishonorable discharge. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, sure, mom. I'll yeah. get that hardship discharge and come work at the candy company. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if that was part of it. This is about the time when Dean moves out on his own and into an apartment above the Coral Candy Company. Okay. So this is also around the time that there's an overtly problematic incident. This is like the first like, mm, that's, that's not okay. Yeah. yeah. So Mary ends up firing a teenage boy after he complained that Dean had come on to him. Mm. Yeah. However, most employees really liked Dean. He was really friendly. He was really nice. He was really, like, well-kept. Tidy and neat and stuff, you mean? He was tidy and neat. And he was, like, it was that 60s, like, he's not a hippie. He's not a communist. He's just a stand-up guy. He's a nice, good boy. He's a nice, good boy. Yeah. So most employees really get along with Dean, even though, like, a lot of them could tell that he was gay. Right. Because they he was, like, visually like... animated around the male employees and not at all around the women. Right. But they were, like, cool about it to a point? Well, it was kind of like a, I like my boss. I'm not going to deal with it. And honestly, I think that that was the way things were, like, before Stonewall. Was basically, we didn't want gay people to exist. But in small towns, everybody had a gay person. And he was just the town's gay person. We just didn't talk about it. Right. And I think that even at a time when, you know, being gay was not socially acceptable, not everyone was a rampant homophobe. So, like, you are going to get people who just, like, don't know how to respond to the situation because they know it's societally wrong. But they're not going to be dicks, so they just ignore it. Yeah. And I think that's what it was. And I think especially in small towns. Yeah. So this is the Houston Heights, which is... Houston's kind of becoming a booming town, but the Heights is kind of like the ghettoiest part of oh, okay. this booming town. So it's like one of those small towns that lives just outside the city. Okay. And so it's an almost not quite small town with like a closeness to a really, really booming city. I get what you're saying. So you do kind of get that, oh, he's just a special boy kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Where it's like, we're not going to talk about it because that's the nice, proper 60s ways to way to handle this. Yeah. So the employees, you know, they didn't say anything. Uh-huh. They specifically assumed that Dean's affinity for teenage boys was a sweet paternal thing. Come on, be your daddy. Yeah, mm, it's fine. That's you know, a like a thing. Boy Scout master, but not right, in a pedal like, way. <laughs> like, like a non-pedophilic Eagle Scout. In the good Boy Scout okay. master, mm. master way. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, we talked about his love of the teenage boys. His paternal fondness. His paternal fondness. So, you want to know the real kicker? The real oh no? Yes. So, the Coral Candy Company Uh was located across the street from an elementary school. Yep. Yay! (laughs) That's a kicker. Yeah. Yeah. And kids would come over after school to get free samples of broken candies from Dean. So he gets to interact with school children on the regular. On the regular. He just, he just is such a nice man and he just loves children and he's just such a sweetie, sweet, sweet. So innocent. So trustworthy. So the principal of the school and many parents even requested that he stop doing this. 
Because really? the school was, well, it was located across the street. So, across so kids the street. were crossing the street to get free candy. And also yeah. there was like, don't bug the nice man at his job. Yeah. But he couldn't help himself. He just had to. He just kept doing it. He just kept doing it. And to make matters worse, he also like furnished the candy factory to like attract kids. Including, like, putting a pool table in the back for teenagers. So, definitely feeling that uh, creepy Willy Wonka vibe. Yeah. He, he always... God, it's so upsetting. He, he always had teenagers around. He always had kids around. That was his thing. And in his van, a white Ford Econoline with no back windows... Dean got carpeting installed, as well as a couch and a TV. And he would regularly take kids for drives on his motorcycle. Mm. And he also owned a Plymouth GTX, which is, if I'm being honest, a real sexy sports car. A real sexy sports car. (laughs) It's a real sexy sports car. Pretty alright. Nice classic American muscle. Yeah. It's it's a good... So... (sighs) So this is really where he starts grooming kids. Oh, where it starts, yeah. All of the, like, all of this story happens in the Heights. And he's got a candy shop in front of an elementary school. And he hangs out with all of the kids that come for the free samples. Yeah, yeah. And there's no, I guess this will probably get addressed further, but again, that question of nature versus nurture comes up where it's like, do we know... His ba- like it seems like the information we have about his backstory. It's like yeah, he was creepy, but like, do <sighs> born this way or trauma that we don't know about? I honest, I think I don't know. I think trauma we don't know about. There's not a lot of information because, like I said, most of the stuff that we know about Dean is from his mom. Right, not very forthcoming and realistic. So, you know, honestly, and and she refused to believe he was gay. Let alone, Let alone that he committed any of these murders. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, so just hard, I honestly hard think, yeah. So I honestly think if something had horrifically happened, she would deny it. Right. No, no, no. That's not, this no, never that happened. Not happen. to my boy. Yeah. So, not a thing. But yeah, literal owner of a candy shop hands out candies to kids. <laughs> Owns a white windowless van. That sounds like all the things I should be afraid of. Yeah. This is where that story comes from. And like, yes, I'm sure that people have been like luring children with candy. Well, I mean, yeah, even if you think of (laughs) things like uh, Snow White eating the apple, right? It's not Mm -hmm. like luring her with candy necessarily, but it's still the baddie, you know, giving you something sweet and tricking you. Yeah. But but literally the the free candy van. Yeah. Yeah. That's Dean Coral. That's this story. Mm, thank you. Yeah, anytime. I'm here to I'm here to enlighten and uh, ruin childhoods. Or enlighten ruined childhoods. <laughs> if your childhood was a shit show, here's why. <laughs> no. I feel really bad, but that's such an accurate mm-hmm. <laughs> There's anyway. a reason that guy down the street made you uncomfortable, kid. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, howdy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Dean also has a bit of a temper. But nobody ever sees it. So how do we know about it? 
So he had what the other employees called a pouting room. What? He had a room in the back of the factory where he would go when he got upset. Temperamental, isn't he? Yeah, and nobody knew what he did in there, but when he came out, he was fine. What he just had his pouting room. Um, I'm going to go with what last podcast on the left suggested, which was he's doing the Macarena real angry like. (laughs) (laughs) I can just picture the angry hip circle. Which, honestly, I remember when I first listened to their episode on Deegan Coral and they suggested that it was the Macarena. I fucking died. It made me... Oh my god, it was so funny. (laughs) A-plus humor there. A-plus humor. Some nice brevity for a totally uh, fucked situation. Oh man, it's so fucked. And we haven't even got to the murders yet. I know, but I can feel it coming. I can feel it's gonna be bad. Oh, it sure is coming. Just like Dean. That was definitely another record skip moment. Like, uh. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Oh, no. So, yeah. Pouting room. Um, yeah. That's a thing that happens. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. We're gonna... We're a little bit away from the murders, but it's coming. Yep. I can Come feel on. it creeping up on me like, uh... Like a creepy man in a white van who's got some candy and has been following you in his van. Yeah. Like that guy? Just slowly, like, I just kept on becoming more and more unsettled. Like, it's not turning yeah. into full-blown, like, like uh, hey, suspense kid, yet, but it's I've, it's getting there. I've, I can give you a ride. I know where you live. I can give you a ride. It's no biggie. Just get in my van. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, let's get to the late 60s. Okay. Mary marries a sailor, Walt Colburn, that she met through an early form of online dating. In the 70s? In the 60s. How? It was literally like one of those like room-sized computers, and you fill out a questionnaire, and they put it into the computer, and then like you match up your questionnaires. So it was like a dating service, but it was like totally online dating. Weird. Isn't that nuts? It's interesting that she keeps on going for guys or ending up with guys that are like, like transient, like traveling salesmen, sailors, yeah, and like things and like that. So the first course. guy was an Air Force. Yeah. Arnold. He was Air Force. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. She's just a lady that likes getting married. Yeah. Well, like yeah. I said, I was reading, I'm reading that book about toxic parents for one of my, you know, for work and it's, I'm very, very at the beginnings of the book and it's some pretty basic, like, you know, psychology stuff, but parents who use their children for emotional fulfillment and needing needs right which is exactly what it sounds like his mom did like she had toxic relationships with men Mm -hmm. and relied on her son for uh probably like emotional fulfillment as well as meeting her needs as referenced by him constantly being called back home to work in the candy factory and the fact that he was the primary source of labor yeah you know when it first began like that's a perfect that's also you know that's the precursor to the candy factory across the street from my elementary school if we're talking the perfect storm for this mm-hmm. kind of predator. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, so one of her her theories on, like, oh, he wasn't gay, he just didn't get married because mm-hmm. was that she, you know, got married and divorced and got married and divorced. And so he saw that and was uncomfortable getting close to people. 
And I don't think that that's necessarily inaccurate. I think that that might be oh, why no, he had trouble getting close to There's people. no doubt that that kind of situation and instability was going to greatly affect him. But, but no. you know, <laughs> you mix that with him being a homosexual pedophile yeah. and a sadist and probably a sociopath. And him not being willing to get close to people just means that he refuses to get a boyfriend and he wants to murder kids instead. Right. Well, and usually, yeah. too, when you have, like, a, this happened to me, therefore, it's the same thing, right? If, if, if what, if his position on marriage was affected by, or if he was going to be affected by his mom's patterns, it would mean that he was getting married all the time and repeatedly and, and repeating the same cycles as she was, not that he would avoid marriage. Or trying to do obvi- the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, it's kind of like how, uh political ideologies ideologies tend to flop back and forth between generations. Yeah. I guess it depends you know? on how much damage you have versus uh you know, rational thought processes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean like again, this is all from his mom, so it's kind of hard to know. Yeah. People aren't really quick to vilify themselves or take accountability. Yeah. So, oh yeah, so she marries this guy Walt Colburn, mm-hmm. he quickly turns out to be abusive as fuck. So like the marriage do. is quickly annulled. But they remarry. So she remarried more than one husband on multiple occasions. Yes. Great. She, she got five divorces with three guys. Right. I read that and I wasn't sure if, like how many of the divorces were with one dude. Or I assumed yep. that the repetition would be all with one person. But no, it's a habit. Nope. Nope, it's just a thing that she do. Hmm. It's how it's how the Mary do. How the Mary do. It's how the Mary do. So, she she gets remarried, but so one of the things with Walt, a he's abusive. B his ex wife was a death by suicide. Oh, but she's starting to get suspicious of that. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, especially if someone's abusive. Mm-hmm. She's like, is that really a suicide? What's more likely, your wife offed herself to get away from you or that you, like, went overboard and killed her? Hmm. Yeah. And and there's even a point where he does literally, like, threaten her. Like, threaten her life. Oh, of course. So she's feeling super, super unsafe. So she goes to a psychic because that's who you go to, right? Yeah, for life advice, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fortune teller tells her to put as much distance between herself and Walt. So she moves to Colorado and files for divorce. And probably to her surprise, Dean didn't come with her. Which I imagine is because he already had this weird foundation laid. Right, he had the perfect setup. Why would he leave that? He's got his candy company with all of these fucking kids hanging out. He's probably got this plan to... Or even if he's not cognizant of, or like, he's just happy to be hanging out with all these kids all this, all right. this time i think that's something that's important to highlight too i guess i don't know why it's important to me i guess to sort of clarify understanding of people's psychology but like i don't know i think it's more likely that it was a slippery slope one thing led to another rather than some like machiavellian plan the entire time right like you said comfortable doing that likes it like you know because he's messed up, it feels right. And so, like, all he's, like, setting himself up and slowly amping up to that. Yeah. And and just from, like, how he's interacting with kids right now, like, there are some kids that are uncomfortable with him. 
obviously. But most yeah. kids aren't, and there's nothing too crazy yet. Well, and it's so probably it makes a combination think, of like testing his own boundaries and interests. You know, exactly. he's figuring out his own boundaries and interests while he's like grooming these kids. Whether yeah. intentionally or unintentionally, he's grooming the kids while he's exploring his own interests and boundaries. Yeah. So I Which think that he is but... probably sexually abusing a handful of kids at this time. Mm-hmm. Most to varying likely. Degrees or... To varying degrees. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't know that he's raping kids yet. Yeah. But I, I imagine that he's probably getting a little handsy and inappropriate. Yeah. Since he literally got handsy and inappropriate with at least one already. Yeah. You know? So he's got... <sighs> He, you know, maybe he doesn't necessarily presently know that he's got his perfect murder basement, mm-hmm. but he's definitely got something naughty going on that he has his foundation for. Right, and he has it's to recognize that he's in spent a... years working on. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, who knows if this story would have panned out the way it did if he had gone to Colorado with his mom. Right, if it was slightly less convenient for him to predate upon children yeah although who knows if the story would have been different if his mom hadn't literally like enabled him by refusing to see what was right in front of her yeah (laughs) but whatever yeah whatever (laughs) so also in the late 60s coral is almost 30 he starts getting weird about his appearance he starts getting kind of vain and and grumpy right like like he's not looking so useful anymore Mm -hmm. and he starts digging a lot digging at his skin or digging holes in the ground digging holes in the ground okay often at night oh night digging is never suspicious night digging is never suspicious and he digs up the pouting room and fills it back in with cement And another area that was eventually paved over into a parking lot. Now, he claims that he's burying food waste from the factory. Burying food waste under his own factory and covering it with cement? Yeah, to reduce pests. What? Yeah, it's not great. I've I've never heard of that. I don't work in factory foods. No, I don't think there's any logical thought process that starts with, what do I do with this food waste and ends with, I'm going to dig a bury hole it. under my factory, bury it, and cover it with cement. I can't. Yeah. I hope that that didn't. How long? How long does it take for that to raise eyebrows? Ugh. <laughs> uh, that response is unsettling. You're going to be really disappointed at the lack of raised eyebrows in this story. Mm-hmm. I can feel it's it. pretty fucked. I can it's feel incredibly that fucked up. Okay. All right. Well. Have we yelled about the police before? In the- yeah, we've yelled about the police. The police don do 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 be fucking up uh, on like multiple the, occasions. We've discussed yeah. this. Yes, yes. It just in this episode, the police also don do be fucking up. Like that's. I feel like that's a big one. Like no, no, no. I'm just burying food waste under my pouting room. Yeah, like, and I mean, like he hasn't done anything like overtly awful yet, so it doesn't. It, it, it makes sense that the police haven't like noticed his weird behavior, but like, oh boy, howdy. <laughs> Again, weird behavior should have been taken note of, like, with flying squirrels. It should have started and ended with the squirrels. Yeah. That's what I'm well, saying. And also, so Dean also keeps bags of cement. Just lying and about. A, and a four foot wide 
plastic sheeting roll, which is a thing that he used later. Either of those things individually aren't that terrible. Like, if I had bags of cement lying around outside my house, nobody would be like, what are you doing? And I guess in a candy factory, if you had four-foot plastic sheeting, that might seem reasonable because, you know, you shit with plastic. But both of those things together, especially with the hole, very unsettling. <laughs> the hole digging? Yeah. yeah. Night digging! Yeah. He's night digging! He's night digging! <laughs> like, I get small town, like, don't talk about the fact that he's gay, but like, where's the small town nosiness? Where's the, like, little old lady being like, that man's crazy. He's up to no good. Why is he doing that? Like, I think it's the small town mind your own businessiness. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. That that you see something, you don't say something because it's not your business. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to so, rock the boat. If I'm being totally honest, I think that this is when Dean starts killing. Okay. That makes because, sense. Because, come on. You know? Yeah. What is he fucking doing? Night digging and and the plastic sheeting is his M.O. for the rest of forever. Right. He, I'm sure, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind that the, the night digging up the pouting room was his first, like, foray into disposal. Or maybe not first, but, you know. Into body disposal? Yeah. There's no or at way. least into some kind of, like... He's got a thing to it. He's got a plan and an MO and a... Yeah. Like, there's no way there's not a body under there. Did they dig that up? Oh, I have so many questions that you probably won't answer till later. Oh, you're going to be so mad. And you're going to have to wait a week. <laughs> okay. So, so the candy company begins struggling in 1968. His mom's moved to Colorado. It's probably and... haunted by the ghosts of dead little boys. <laughs> it's haunted by the ghosts. That is exactly why... It starts struggling. Because, I mean, there's not really, like, a good answer to why it starts struggling. But eventually he has to close down the factory altogether. So by the time we really get into the Dean murders, he's no longer the candy man. But he was the candy man to a lot of the boys that he does later murder. Right. You know? So he really is the candy man. Well, forever. I think the meaning of the... He is two distinct candy men. At f- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Okay, so he changes careers. Uh-huh. He, he closes down the candy factory. He changes careers. He becomes an electrician. And he moves into something of a shack uh-huh. lo- located across the street from another elementary. Of course. Of course. And this time he really decorates for a teenage crowd. So he's got a TV, a stereo, black light. And when he invites kids over, the parties are a lot more adult. It's not just kids hanging out in the back of his factory anymore. It's now kids coming over, doing drugs, mainly weed. Mm -hmm. But still. Drinking beer, drinking alcohol, and huffing paint, which he would provide all of these. Huffing paint? How weird. Yeah, huffing paint is a big part of this, and it's super yuck. That's just like, yeah, that's almost, that's... It's just kind of, like, unsettling and bizarre. It'd be like finding out that there's a serial killer predator who, like, does whippets with their victims. I mean, that's, but, like, it's exactly what he's doing. It's basically... I know. Yeah, it's he's doing... Yeah, it's pretty much what that is. Ye old whippets. Ye old whippets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and... Uh, this is really fucked up, but one of the 
great things for him that comes from huffing paint is that you regularly like pass out. Right. Yay. Mm. Incapacitated victim. <sighs> yep. Get them to willfully roofie themselves. Yep. Under the guise of you sharing your stash. Yeah. So I wrote that he is Matthew McConaughey, but scarier and real. But scarier and real. Yes. Although Matthew McConaughey is real, but you're clearly you know I referring like about to high school boys. Dazed and confused. Yeah. I keep getting I older. I keep getting older. They stay the, they same, stay the same age. age. You gotta say it yes, slow. They do. You gotta say it slow. <laughs> it makes it so much pacing affects suspense. Yes, yeah, they I'm so, do. Like upset. Yes, they do. <laughs> I can't sit with the words. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's literally the guy from Dazed and Confused, but like it's not a funny joke in a movie. It's it's the real guy from Dazed and Confused. And, like, everybody has that, you know? Everybody has that old guy that wants to party with the teenagers, you know? Yeah. There were a few different times I encountered things like that where I'm like, oh, I ended up at this party because my friend said to go. And turns out it's, like, hosted by or being infiltrated by, like, heavily creepy older men who are very clearly, like, having poor boundaries and, like, inappropriate yeah. interactions with, like, teenage girls. And there's, I'm sorry, but... It's obvious when it's like eighteen year old girls don't actually pass for twenty one. Or they yeah. don't they don't it, yeah. Or seventeen like, you know, young girls don't pass for older women. That's never the case. Mm-hmm. It's plausible deniability. It's like, oh I thought she was older. But no. Yeah, well and also like if you're thirty, like get off the eighteen year old too. Yeah. If she could still be in high school, she's too young for you. Right. I guess that's <laughs> my point, is I don't suffer under the delusion that like uh, older men were uh, only inappropriate with me as a teenager because they couldn't tell that I was not uh, of age. Because that's bullshit. Yeah. Well, and also, if you talk to you for, like, two seconds, you can tell that you're a teenager, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, teenagers are different. And, like, that's the thing, is that, like, I think everybody growing up has that, like, teenage, like, party thing. And then there's, like, some old guy there. Yeah. And, you know, it's... It's a really, really fucked up, like, completely not okay symbiotic relationship. Right. Because the underage people are getting stuff that they couldn't normally get, i.e. alcohol, from the old guy. And the old guy is getting access to fucking children. Literally. Right. And even fucking if it's, children. Even if it's not uh, <laughs> directly leading to, like, sexual assault or rape, there's always inappropriate... It's still a weird grooming thing and an inappropriate. Yeah, you're still, it's still not out with kids when you're like not a kid. Right. So even if it's yeah. not physically predatory, it does become like emotionally weird and predatory. Yeah. It's like, and so like you're doing something my, wrong if you feel the need to party with teenagers as an adult. Yeah. My moral is as a teenager, like I don't blame you for partying with old people. Because, like, we all did it because well, they were the ones that provided the booze. You literally don't have good risk assessment and, as a teenager. So yeah, of course and you you're don't know be... that an old person is inappropriate because you've never been an old person who was hanging out with teenagers. Right, or it maybe takes you time to realize it. You don't get those red yeah. flags as quickly or as immediately. Or if you do, you have a lot more incentive to ignore them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And, like, teenagers are dumb is basically the moral. Hanging out with the teenagers, those are the guys that are in the wrong. Yeah. And they are always in the wrong. There is never an okay reason for an old person to be partying with a teenager. Yeah. If you are in your late 20s plus, you get the fuck out of that 18-year-old's house. Yeah. You get that 18-year-old the fuck out of your house. Don't hang out with each other. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. (laughs) weird. Don't do it. 
Anyway. It's weird. <laughs> so. So, yeah. Matthew McConaughey, but, like, monster version. Yeah. IRL Matthew McConaughey from Dazed and Confused. Dean also starts moving, like, semi-constantly from this point forward. Like, he's frequently moving from house to house. Mm-hmm. So sometimes he stays in a rental house or apartment for only a few weeks. Oh, wow. He is regularly moving. Like, several times a year, regularly moving. He also starts dating a woman, Betty Hawkins, mm-hmm. who is a divorcee with two young children. Uh-oh. Run, Betty. And he... Well, so he never pressures her for sex because he doesn't believe in sex before marriage. Or, you know, actually because he's gay. And, uh... (laughs) And she finds this super refreshing and not alarming because she's used to the normal way that men treat a divorcee with two kids in the 60s. -hmm. And so she's basically the perfect beard. Right. So he's like, look, I've got a girlfriend. And she's like, I'm a girlfriend. And he's like, we're not fucking because I don't believe in that. Yeah. She's like, look (laughs) at me getting my wholesome reputation back after being a single mother. Yeah, exactly. Single mothers definitely don't have, didn't have wholesome reputations, uh, especially then. 60s, hell no. Yeah. Yeah. So she is the perfect beard and they end up dating for five years. (laughs) Never having sex. Apparently they they tried to get intimate once and he said he called it off because he wasn't feeling like it. And that is it. That is the only time they tried to do sex. And then otherwise he didn't believe in sex before marriage. <laughs> okay. All right. And that's the last time that this is going to be wholesome. All right. I mean this hasn't really been wholesome this whole time, but Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Like that wasn't yeah, even really wholesome. That was really bad. That was uh, that was like a facade <laughs> of wholesome. That was wholesome. really just kind of sad because honestly, it was just a gay man trying to hide that he was gay. Right. By it's a facade a of wholesome over was... sadness and depravity. Yeah. Yep. Sadness and depravity. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect example. Thank you. Sometimes I have effective words. <sighs> so murder time. All right, murder time. Murder time. Murder time. Okay. So what I decided to do. This is really really gnarly. And I don't want to be exploitative of victims, but I also don't want to sugarcoat the horror that these victims went through. Right? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before in other episodes when we Mm -hmm. choose to not go into detail. And I think we've uh, repeatedly come to the consensus that uh, when it doesn't add anything to your understanding of the case or of the predator or of his victims, then why would you include it? Mm -hmm. But that, Sometimes it does behoove your understanding to include that kind of information. And I think that's the line where it's not, I mean, we're walking a line and some people still might find it to be exploitive, but, uh, you know, I'm doing my best, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, that's obvious. And at a certain point, you know, sometimes it is necessary for a more, uh, complete understanding. And that's what we're trying to get here. So I decided that in this case, because it is such a horrible, horrible serial killer, that I actually do need to go into at least some really, really, really gross details. Mm -hmm. And so what I decided to do was give you the general MO. Mm -hmm. And that way, when I'm discussing individual victims, I don't have to tell you how he tortured them. Right, because we can just we can just know his general. Uh, we can just know his mo. Yeah. We can know that sometimes he did this fucked up thing, 
and sometimes he did this fucked up thing, and sometimes he did this fucked up thing, and we can put that on, like, a victim X. Right, I get And then when we're talking about individual victims, we can talk about the victim. Perfect. I like that. So, we don't have that's to, what I'm gonna do. We don't have to associate specific actions with specific victims, we can just recognize yep. what was happening and just let, you know. Yep. The, yeah. So, it. so this is when we get real fucking gross. Okay. Because it's murder time. So, soon enough, Dean is going to get some accomplices. Mm-hmm. David Brooks and Wayne Henley. But we're going to get to them. Usually, most of Dean's victims would go willingly to his house with the expectation of partying. They were lured there. Mm-hmm. See, also, white van with the candy. Right. I have something you want. Yes. Now, you know, because they were teenage victims, they were lured there with, you know, intoxicants, beer, weed, paint to huff. But still the same uh, principle as the candy man. Exactly the same principle. You want this? Come get in my van. I've got it for you. Then he would either use their inebriated state to overpower them, or, you know, just the fact that they were straight up passed out, Mm -hmm. or they would be tricked into putting on handcuffs. Okay. And we'll get there... as well. That'll be a little later. Then, Dean had a torture board. And I actually posted a picture of that. I see, yeah, I'm looking at that. I've looked at that picture several times and just been like, yeah. looking at stuff, trying to figure out exactly what it was used and for, just, but then also and being just like, hoping oh. it wasn't what you thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what you thought it was. So it was a long plywood board mm-hmm. with holes in it that he could use to tie or handcuff his victims. Then his victims were bound to the torture board. And plastic sheeting was already laid down under them, as you can also see in that picture. Mm-hmm. See also four foot wide plastic sheeting. Yeah. That's literally part of his MO, which is why I don't think that he killed as late as we thought we did. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> so his victims were bound to the torture board. Plastic sheeting would have been laid down. He would also, now sometimes he'd just sort of like let them scream, which is really fucked up. Mm -hmm. he'd just like turn up the radio yeah sometimes he would gag them with a cloth sometimes he would put tape over their mouth Mm -hmm. or both then he would torture and rape his victims Mm. he would often mutilate their genitals while they were still alive which is a particularly brutal variety of torture so fucked up it is so immensely fucked up and this is where we get really 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 awful he, he castrated at least a couple of his victims. He would cut off their penises and balls. He also had these glass rods. Mm. So do you know what sounding is? Uh, no. Sounding, it's actually supposed to be pleasurable. It's like a weird kinky thing. I don't have a penis, so I don't know. But you put a, a metal, not glass, a metal rod into the penis and it feels good. Oh, uh, Okay. I did not know. I, I've actually heard reference to that. I did not know that's what it was called. Yeah. But yes, I've heard of that concept. Now, he did that with glass rods, which um, was probably unpleasant because he probably didn't prepare these victims enough for sounding. That's the kind of thing you have to work up to. And also, once the glass rods were in the penis, he would shatter the glass rods. Wow. Yeah. Which is actually the worst thing i've ever heard ever yeah i don't know if i i can't think of anything worse than that off the top of my head that's for sure it's, as as far as non-medieval torture goes yeah that's the worst because yeah. these kids were still alive 
See, and that's the kind of thing, too, is, like, we're talking about when when people suspected that they began murdering. I don't think you just jump in with two feet to that level of sadism. Yeah. You have yeah, to be working sure. up to that. So there's no way he didn't, like, rape and murder children before that. Yeah. I honestly, I find it really, really unlikely that his first kill, quote unquote, is actually his first kill. Because yeah. it's too, like, it's too well done. It's too well planned. Yeah, or maybe thoroughly planned would be better than that. Well. Yeah. Because usually a serial killer's first kill is such a bungle. Mm-hmm. I can't think of, of, of a serial killer that doesn't have, like, a ridiculous first kill. Yeah. That has nothing to do with their later kills. You know, that has none of the mastery, I guess, of murder. Yeah. Is that horrible? Yeah, no, but, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So... So yeah, he mutilates their genitals while they're still alive, and he, he tortures them in other ways, but his big thing was the genital thing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that that comes back to that whole resentment of being gay. Yeah. You know, I think that it's entirely probable that he was doing this weird, like, sadism, oh, I guess whatever, you know, since I'm gay, that means everything I do is evil, so I'm just going to give in to the evil. Well, that also definitely sounds like it would result from, uh, prob- I don't know. To me, that sounds like he was probably like molested by a man in his life growing up and then turned Maybe. around and shamed for being gay. Because like yeah. that conflict, like I feel like, I don't know, I feel like sexual sadism in particular has to be a result of some sort of sexual sadism being practiced against you. Like Somebody has to... I don't know. I, don't I feel know. like that's a really... Unique... I don't know where Ted Bundy came from. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I do I do think that the genital mutilation kind of does oh, imply yeah. that there's this weird internalized hatred... I, I definitely agree with that. I, ...of himself for being gay. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess I'm just getting hyper-specific about it and being like, he had to have had help beyond shame and hating himself enough to do that to somebody else. Yeah. I do find it really hard to believe that the childhood story that I told is the whole story. Because, like, really? He just has a mostly normal childhood where he gets a little weird with flying squirrels and then suddenly he's castrating teenage boys? Yeah, no way. Really? (laughs) No. (laughs) No way. Not, you don't you don't go from zero to sixty like that. Yeah. Even Ted Bundy didn't go zero to sixty like that. Yeah. Um, then after raping and torturing, he would finally kill them. Usually by strangulation, sometimes by shooting them with a twenty two pistol. So that's that's our gnarly gnarly. That's the most gnarliest thing I've heard in probably ever. It's really fucking horrible. I wasn't sure how to do it, but I couldn't, I couldn't tell this story without including the genital mutilation. Mm -hmm. That's so important to it. It is so horrific. I can't, I can't pretend like that's not part of the story. Yeah. I, well, I think, like I said, we kind of have discussed this on numerous occasions and I think, you know, we talk about what's mm -hmm. important and if it's important, it gets put in. Yep. So sorry, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for listening. So after his victims were killed, he would use that same plastic sheet that was under them mm-hmm. to wrap up the bodies. Right. And then they were dumped at Highland Beach or buried in his boat shed or in the woods near his family owned lakeside cabin. There, There's one of 
three, I think maybe four locations where he, where he had known victims buried. And then the bodies were covered in lime to aid in the decomposition. Mm. Okay. So here's a picture of, you know, a closer to 30 year old Dean Coral. Oh yeah. The one Mm -hmm. with Wayne Henley in the background. Yep. It's got Wayne Henley in the background. So that's kind of what he looked like around this time. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the like two good pictures of him. (laughs) So let's get into the first known victim. And I think, honestly, I think this really seals the deal for why this is almost certainly not his first victim. Mm -hmm. So his first known victim is Jeffrey Conan, who is an 18-year-old student at the University of Texas, Austin. And on September 25th, 1970... Conan was hitchhiking to Houston to visit his girlfriend, and he made it into the Heights, but he was dropped off at an intersection and was then going to hitchhike from there. Mm-hmm. And Dean found a convenient boy picked him up. and offered him a ride. Dean obviously did not take him to see his girlfriend. He took him back to his place. Yep. And his body was dumped in High Island Beach, and when it was found, there was still a cloth gag in his mouth. So definitely... Yeah. So I cannot believe that that's his first victim because that is not at all a first time kill. Right. A, a cloth right, a cloth in the mouth definitely demonstrates that you were like, not, I don't know, the murder was at least somewhat premeditated, I think. Well, I think that the murder was premeditated. Yeah. But also like, I'm pretty sure that the body was wrapped in plastic wrap. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that he had the torture board at this point. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. The body had lime put over it. Right, that's way too prepared for somebody who is acting out the first, like, acting out the first time. Like, even if it's really, really planned, you don't have the physical memory of how to detain your victim. You don't have the knowledge of every single thing that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. So you know how to gag your victim and how to, you know, dispose of your victim's body in a way that, that doesn't leave evidence behind. Yeah. And there wasn't enough mistakes. Yeah. You know? Right. It was too well done. Yeah. Like this body was only found after all of the other bodies were found. Oh, really? You know? We only know about this because it was found with all of the other boys that were found at High Island Beach. Oh, okay. You know, this wasn't a, oh, we found proof that Dean had killed Jeffrey Conan. This was, we found Jeffrey Conan in the place where other Dean victims were. Oh, that's intense. Yeah. That's way different. This is the farthest back victim that they could find. And so that's why he's the first known victim. Right. That no, that known part is really important yeah. to emphasize. Yeah. So I have, I have a picture here, and I'm going to put this up with both episodes, with our, with yeah. this episode and with the next episode. That's got all of the lost boys of Houston, all of the known victims, mm-hmm. and there's pictures with most of them. So what I'm confused about is how they have a picture of a boy, but then don't know his name. Unknown sixteen. How can they have his picture and not know his name? That was probably a skeletal reconstruction. reconstruction. Okay, yeah, I guess I can see mm-hmm. that. It does look like a computer-generated image now that I look closer rather than, like, a portrait. 
Yeah. And then the ones that don't have pictures, is that because their parents were like, no, I'm not? Or They probably just didn't have pictures okay. of them. Yeah. Which is really fucking tragic. Mm-hmm. But I, I find this really helpful to have this. So this was Conan. He's in the... Yeah, I, I found him. Two up from the bottom and one in from the left. Yep. Yep. That's Conan. Your 18-year-old college student. That's our first boy that we know. But yeah, I really, really, really find it unlikely that these are the only victims. Which is insane because this is a huge body count. Yeah. I think the age range is interesting because some of them look very young. And some of them look... Some of them... You know. He went as young as 13 and as old as 20. Oh, okay. So some of them look younger than they are. So, well, when you've got a 13-year-old, you've got those kids that, like, haven't quite hit puberty yet. Yeah. Yeah, And they really do look like infants, you know? Yeah, like the last kid on the bottom. Yeah. Or Hembry is the youngest to me. Hembry and Simino. Oh, I was looking at next to him. um, Hillgeist. Hillegeist is also really yeah. young. Hillegeist was 13, I he believe. Baby face. And who was the other one? Simino? Hembry. Oh, Hembry. And Simino. They're all pretty close to each other. Oh, yeah. Hembry and Simino. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that those were all 13, maybe 14-year-old mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. So, thanks for sticking with us. At least now that the murder time is over, you know, after I, I've told the the MO, yeah. we don't have to get into we can just- that level of horror anymore think about that other kind of stuff for a while that's great just just know that some of that happened to some of these kids Mm -hmm. but i'm not telling you which ones i do the research so you don't have to know (laughs) you know thank you (laughs) usually what i think is if i was murdered how offended would I be if somebody told this story in their podcast? Right. Or I think about too, like, especially when it's the kids, like the parents, like, yeah, I could totally see how, you know, parents or family member, you know, whatever, obviously not descendants, but you know, if you're at all related to that person or care about them, you would not want the details of their torture and murder being broadcast associated with their name. But yeah. And like, if I'm being honest, I, I actually, If I was murdered in, like, a really brutal, gruesome way, I think I would prefer to have that information told. Mm -hmm. I'd want my story to be known. But I am not a boy from the 70s. Yeah. You know? Like, honestly, I think that a lot of his victims before he started murdering, because there's no way he just went to murder. He was molesting kids. Yeah. I think... The reason that nobody came forward is because there was so much shame around being assaulted by a man. You know, that wasn't acceptable at the time. And so I'm also trying to be respectable or respectful to the victims under their circumstances. Right. So I figured I could tell their story without assigning it to them. Yeah. And that's better. A little more respectful. I'm doing my best, guys. All right. Sorry for that crazy story. Yeah, I'm going to have to like... But also, I'm not sorry. I'm going to have to watch something super lighthearted and bubbly while I eat my leftover fun. Yeah, you really should. Yeah. Watch something real nice. Real lighthearted. Because even though me telling you about the torture is done, the horror is not over. Oh, the horror is not over. And, you know... The horror is just getting started. It'll take a little work to prevent images of of what you have just told me from, like, permeating my brain for the rest of the night so like i should get to work on that 
No, I understand. You know, I know what I signed up <laughs> for. Okay. I know what I signed up for. Yeah, but I'm also not going to lie about you. the discomfort. <laughs> I love you. I love you, I love you forever. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, yeah, let's so, do sign, off sign off and we'll send you the check. Uh, oh, yeah. So follow us on social media. Palm Pitch Pod at everything. Also, I recently joined a Discord group from Pod Junkie. So if you want to follow Podcast Junkie and check out his Discord group, it is for podcasters and podcast enjoyers alike. So all are welcome. All are welcome. And, and it's been a pretty cool place. Let's see, social media, Patreon, if you want to help us out, that'd be cool. Because, I don't know, I lose a lot of sleep on this shit. <laughs> <laughs> sleep is valuable. I think that's it. That it? I think that... Oh, hey, Cap, I'm sorry. I think that's it. <laughs> All right. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. <laughs>